1: presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.
2: we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep, deep, deep diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field, here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. W- w- welcome, welcome, welcome to Utopia told
0: Hey everybody, welcome in. It is another edition of the Utopia Football Podcast. We're just a few days away from the start of Texans training camp. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see already that uh, we've got a special guest with us for this episode of the podcast. Of course, I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610. And uh, joined by my co-host, as always, the Hall of Famer, my good friend, and our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. And, John, we've got a special guest today. Seven years in the NFL. You hear him on Westwood One. You see him on CBS Sports doing college football. uh, And, of course, he is our Odyssey NFL insider. Pleased to be joined by Ross Tucker. Ross, how you doing, man?
2: Doing awesome. Good to see both you guys. I love that they got rid of pain for John. That's awesome. That's an upgrade right there. So I I, I would love to have been in that meeting. All right, we got a podcast. We got to have a host. Who should be the expert? Well, not Seth. Let's get John McClain. been covering Houston football forever. Love it.
0: So Seth, as proportional response, went and started his own YouTube channel and now he's directly competing with us. So, so there's, yeah, so there's that. I still host a radio show with him, Ross. So there's that, you know, for four hours a day, <laughs> as you know, because you've been a great guest on our show from time to time, but it's, it's great to see you too. So let's get right into it, Ross. Um, Cause training camp's starting in a few days here and there's no dead time in the NFL. I wanted to start in with you on what I, I know it doesn't involve the Texans, but it involves a former Texan that people are still have a lot of feelings for here in Houston and that's DeAndre Hopkins signing with the Tennessee Titans wanted to get your thoughts on the impact that you feel like DeAndre Hopkins is going to have for the Tennessee Titans this season
2: but it was really interesting now, now first of all I'm not a big fan or believer in guys quote-unquote ring chasing um look if that's what they want to do with their lives go for it but you know how hard it is to know which team's going to win the Super Bowl and be on that team. I mean, everybody says, oh, just go to the Chiefs. It's been 20 years has anybody repeated back-to-back. Yeah. It's really hard to do, okay? And it's also easy to say, oh, just go play for the Chiefs win the championship, or the Bills. The Bills have had Josh Allen as their quarterback for five years, starting quarterback. They've been a one AFC championship game. I mean, what what? good luck chasing a ring there, right? So the idea that these guys – will sign for less than a third of what Odell Beckham Jr. got to play for these teams, I always thought was ridiculous. I'm glad DeAndre realized that. You know, I think everybody would love to win a championship, but that's really hard to do. What I like about what DeAndre did is, first of all, Nashville's awesome. Probably a sensitive subject for you guys, but Nashville is an amazing city. Um, But I think it's more interesting the message – that the Titans signing Hopkins sends. Because all offseason, I, like a lot of people, have kind of wondered, what what is Rand Carthon doing with the Tennessee Titans? I mean, they kind of revamped their whole O-line. They're basically going young and cheap on the O-line, which sometimes works, sometimes it doesn't. They take Will Levis high in round two. So you're like, okay, they're kind of rebuilding. You know, they moved on from Ben Jones and some of the vets on the team. They tried to get by to take a pay cut, thought they might move on from him. They didn't re-sign David Long, et cetera. But then they made some other moves. They still have Tannehill as their quarterback. And I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to do both, right? I think the AFC South, let's be honest, is bad enough that Rabel believes they can kind of retool, rebuild at certain spots and still win the division. I mean, last year, even without Tannehill, they had the lead in the fourth quarter against the Jags in the win-in-your-in game. And if Dobbs doesn't fumble and they got Dobbs like two days before the game, they win the division last year. So I think Vrabel wants to be able to look at Kevin Byard, Jeffrey Simmons, Derrick Henry, some of those guys and say, we're, we're, we're going to win the division. Then we're going to make a run in the playoffs. And DeAndre Hopkins, I think, really gives them that chance. You know, I don't think the Colts will be great with the rookie quarterback. Texans, the same. So, I think, I think Vrabel looks at the Jaguars and says, you know what? If Tannehill's healthy and you get me DeAndre Hopkins, we'll beat the Jags. We'll win that division. They could win that division. The big problem is Hopkins had not done much in
3: three years. His missed 15 games these last two years, nine because of injuries. He never got hurt here. Now he's had two different things hurt the last two years. You always worry about when a guy gets his age, he just turned 31. And he's certainly capable of being great again. You know, he, he was great with a lot of bad quarterbacks. He's got one now who's mediocre. And uh, he'll help Traylon Burks more than anybody because if Hop stays healthy and plays the way he's capable, He'll
2: get a lot of double teams, which means Burks will be singled up. No, there's no question. And I I really think, John, he's not the player he was in Houston. And he's not going to be. But he's still pretty darn good. I mean, I think he caught 70-some balls last year or something, even though he was suspended, missed all those games with different quarterbacks in Arizona. I think he's what the Titans needed which is if they're loading the box, take some pressure off Traylon Burks. Don't make him have to be the number one stud receiver. He can still grow into that role. I don't think Hopkins is as much of a deep threat as he used to be. Still has great hands. Still really good against zone coverage. Still excellent on the boundary and gives Tannehill that option he needs, especially on some of those third downs. They have a really good tight end. And Chigakonkwo. Um, and, you know, I think they just realized they needed someone reliable. I don't think Hopkins, I'd be really interested to see if anybody doubles him. I, I don't know that he's a guy that dictates coverage anymore. And if he doesn't, I think he can be productive again.
0: So, uh, Ross, uh, well, the Madden people like him because they gave him a 93. I will say that. I want to shift gears um, with you here and get over to the Texans. Um, I'm going to answer your, the question you would normally ask me and Seth, when you come on with us is how are they feeling in Houston about the Texans right now? I'm going to tell you up front, we're way more excited about the Texans now than each of the last two years that we've done radio with you. People are super excited here. So I want to get your thoughts on the, what, what I think a lot of people think are massive upgrades that they finally made at the head coaching. So the two most important spots, head coach and quarterback. What are your thoughts about D'Amico Ryan's and the combination of D'Amico Ryan's and CJ Stroud for this rebuilding team?
2: Well, D'Amico Ryans is like a unicorn, man. I, I, I don't know that I can ever think of another player who every organization he's been associated with just ooze and ahs with their praise for this guy. I mean, I don't even remember how many years he was in Philly. They love him. Like, they love D'Amico Ryans. And I'm not sure what he does to ingratiate himself this much. I mean, I think he was a pretty good player for the Eagles. I don't think he was a great player for the Eagles, but the way he goes about his business, I'll never forget Chip Kelly when he was the coach here. He totally butchered the Lion King. You guys got to Google this, but he called D'Amico like Mufasa or Simba or something. He called him somebody he wasn't. But he, what he was trying to say is that, like, D'Amico's our guy. D'Amico's the I think maybe he called him Scar, the bad guy, <laughs> or maybe he called him uh, Simba. I don't know. But that just goes to show how respected he is everywhere he's been. I mean, John probably knows more than I do, but seems like Denver really wanted him to be their head coach over Sean Payton, really yeah. wanted him. But he wanted to come to Houston. I think that speaks well to the franchise, to Nick Casario, that even after back-to-back one-and-done guys, that D'Amico still felt like Houston was the place for him. As for Stroud, really curious to see how things go for him. Um, You know, I I think the Georgia game helped tremendously because it showed he can run a little bit. Sometimes you'll wonder, you talk to people, and I never knew he could run. And I think some of these guys, they don't want to be known as running quarterbacks. So they don't run even though they can. And quite frankly, Ohio State, he didn't have to. I think the the learning curve for him, similar to Haskins, similar to Justin Fields. You ever watch an Ohio State game the last couple of years? It's unbelievable. Like two years ago, Stroud's first year. Every time I flipped the Ohio State game, Chris Olave would catch a post for a touchdown, and there was nobody within, like, 20 yards of him. I'm like, what? what? who are they playing right now? It's like, oh, okay, that's Northwestern. They're actually not bad. Like, like, they're playing decent teams. Guys are wide open. The receivers are unbelievable. Clean pocket. Their tackles are Paris Johnson. They're always going in the first round. I think things... I think the supporting cast and the surrounding is so good at Ohio state that I think it really is a big adjustment for some of these recent Ohio state quarterbacks when they come in the NFL and the receivers aren't wide open and it's not a clean pocket. I think that's, a, that'd be adjustment for everybody, but I think it's stark contrast for those guys. That's a great point, Ross, about, those players
3: that he played with. The thing about his running ability, he had 72 yards against Northwestern. He ran, but he said at the Combine, why would I want to run when I have so many great receivers who are open? If I'm selfish and I'm running the ball, I'm never going to hear the end of it from them because they're open. My job's to get them the ball. So he proved several times in his two years as a starter that if he needed to run, he
2: could run. So funny, too, isn't it, John? Because it was like 10 years ago that we were saying to these guys, better not run in the NFL. Better not. You're going to get hurt. Yeah. These guys that run in college, it's not the way the NFL is. It's like totally flipped. Now it's like, you better run sometimes. I mean, and it works. You know, Hurts had an unbelievable year for the Eagles. Even Daniel Jones ran for over 700 yards, seven touchdowns, a huge part of the Giants' success last year. And honestly, guys, it's not even the quarterback running as much as it's the threat of the quarterback running and what that creates
0: for the offense. So, Ross, I, uh, I want to make sure, before we get you out of here, because I know your time is limited, I, I want to make sure, I think the other, aside from the Texans, um, the other team or player that Texan fans still have interest in, direct interest in because they that's the first-round pick the Texans have next season is Cleveland's. Do you think that Deshaun Watson, who was not good in the six games he played last year and he hadn't played in nearly two years at that point, do you think Deshaun Watson has a bounce-back year in Cleveland this year? Yeah, so
2: I actually have a question for you guys then after I answer this. The answer is yes, I do think he'll have a bounce-back year. Um, I think – You know, having a full year in that system will help him. The O-line's healthy. They have Nick Chubb to run the ball. Uh, You know, they did add to the receiving core with Elijah Moore. I think Watson – look, they have to – I'm actually surprised the Browns didn't sign Hopkins because I think that the head coach and the GM in Cleveland are on the hot seat. I thought as a result that they would pony up the money to get Hopkins there to reunite him with Watson – I think he'll have a bounce back year. I don't think he'll be a top five quarterback. Really hard to be that. And I think he was his last full season in 2020, which leads me to my question for you guys. He was unbelievable in 2020 by all accounts, a top five quarterback in the NFL. They won four games. How is that possible? John, I'll let you go first, but how is that possible? Like, in today's NFL, there is no way you should have a top five quarterback and only win four games. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would
1: stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here?
2: Your cold snap
0: is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived.
3: They had a terrible coaching. They went through uh, firing Bill O'Brien, and they had a terrible defense that was one of the worst in history against the run. They couldn't stop anybody. Now I'll tell you this about Watson. Every game he played here, he played in, indoors. He played in Jacksonville, indoors at in Indy, good weather at Nashville. Every game would be outdoors in his division. He's never been a good cold-weather quarterback, and so I don't think he'll ever compile the stats – that he had here. They haven't had a 4,000-yard passer since Brian Sipe, and that's back when I started covering the NFL 47 years ago. So I think he'll be great. They'll run the ball more than they ran the ball here. His stats won't be as good, but hopefully uh, for the Browns and their fans, they'll win games and maybe be a playoff team again.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I Ross, I, I there's nothing much to add to John's thing except that it was the season after. That was when they traded DeAndre Hopkins. They made Anthony Weaver the defensive coordinator and poor Anthony Weaver in this whole thing, man. Like they they just their improvements to the defense were letting DJ Reeder walk, overpaying Whitney Merciless and signing Eric Murray who nobody knew who he we had to google Eric Murray, the safety. Like it was it, it was uh it was bad. It, it, was the, it, it was the gateway to this horrible period of annual coaching searches in, in Houston. Thankfully, that tradition appears to be over. I think we're not going to have, for the first time in years, we won't have a coaching search in the offseason.
2: Well, man, I hope so. I, I mean, because that's been ridiculous. I'm still waiting for the McNairs to hire me for one year on like a four- or five-year contract. I'll sign up for that right now. I only want to coach one year. Yeah. Don't fire me. Then I'll go do something else.
0: <laughs> you can get all the churrascos you can eat after that, right? Let me put it down. That'd
2: be delicious.
3: <laughs> Everybody that watched Texans those two years knew that they did terrible coaching jobs and understood why they were fired.
0: Yep. Uh Ross, we know you got to get out of here. Um you we've got the uh you've got the Ross Tucker football podcast. You got your little podcast Empire going on over there, right?
2: I'm trying, man. I, I'm I, we need you guys to get legalized betting down there for the even money <laughs> podcast. For fantasy football, we got the Fantasy Feast podcast, and it was uh, real fun talking about the 2024 quarterback prospects on the College Draft podcast. It's interesting to hear people talk about how much better Drake May and Caleb Williams supposedly are than C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. I guess we'll find
0: out. Yeah, yeah. We'll, fi- we'll find out. Someday we'll find out for sure. Ross, uh, appreciate you, man. Keep up the great work. Appreciate you jumping on with us. Our Odyssey NFL insider, Ross Tucker. We'll talk soon, man. Thanks for coming on, was brother. great to
2: see you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you, me. Ross. All right.
0: All right, again, big thanks to uh, Ross Tucker, Odyssey NFL insider, joining us here on the Utopia Football Podcast. Uh, a reminder, too, we're not going to do a mailbag today because we had Ross on, but H-O-U-Mailbag at gmail.com. I can guarantee you we will do a mailbag Next week, either on Monday or Wednesday, the podcast, that's when we're recording and Wednesday is going to be recorded after the first practice. So there will be one next week. We want you to mail in the questions. It's been a while since we've done one. So we probably got a backlog, but with training camp coming up, we know you guys have a ton of questions. It also gives us a good idea of what you're, what you want to want us to watch out for at training camp as well for you. So HOU Mailbag at gmail.com. John, I know there's a ton of things we look to get into with Ross. We only had limited time with him, but we can talk about some of them here. You've got a piece up on sportsradio610.com right now, John. Ten things the Texans are looking to accomplish at training camp, correct? Absolutely. Okay, so let's get into a few. We can't get into all ten, um, but if you want to uh, read about all ten, you can go to the website, sportsradio610.com. I think for most fans, I think things begin and end with the QB. Uh, the, the quarterback position, this training camp. And I know one of the things that the Texans, in your mind, need to accomplish, they got to figure out the eventuality that CJ Stroud is going to be the starter for this team sooner rather than later, right?
3: He's got to go in and pick up where he left off in the offseason program and seize that job by outplaying Davis Mills. And because we all know that he's going to be the starter, Davis Mills knows it, Case Keys knows it it's the Texans know it they just don't want to say so yet but I think when they come out of the uh, joint practices against the Dolphins and the Saints and before that last preseason game they'll announce him as the starting quarterback because otherwise D'Amico going to get asked about it every single day after practice
0: yeah I, I just don't want to see him splitting reps evenly in those joint practices John that's my big thing I, I think that those joint practices to me are going to be as big, if not a bigger opportunity, to improve and see what you really have. You and I have watched joint practices that are more competitive than those preseason games sometimes. So I I would like for, uh, and and again, I think we should point out, the joint practices are coming before the second and third preseason. It's only a three-game preseason. They're coming before the second and third preseason games. So I'm fine if they go into the New England game, that first preseason game, and maybe they haven't named a starter yet. If they name him the starter... What practices next Wednesday, the first one. They can name him the starter Thursday, and I'd be fine with that too. But they've to me, it's imperative if he's gonna be the starter, unless he's just completely pooping the bed in the first week of practice, he to me, he's got to be the starter before those joint practices. That's his best opportunity against the defenses of Miami, the first team defenses of Miami and New Orleans to really to really improve and learn.
3: See, that's why I think they'll wait till after those joint practices to see how he does because mm-hmm. if they were to name him the starter before that, and he doesn't do well, then everybody in the media and the fans are going to go crazy had bad practices. And that's why I think it'll, it'll, I don't think it'll be right before the Baltimore game. I think it'd be before that new Orleans game coming out of the practices, hopefully sooner, the better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess to back up, like I, Man, I really don't care if they name him the starter before those joint practices. I just want him to get way more of the reps. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and so whether he's labeled a starter or not, it's not nearly as important as the actual work that goes on. All right, so that's number one. Um, of Hang the, on one second. Did sure. you
3: see? I can't remember who it was. Somebody I really respect online, uh, NFL expert, had the ranking the quarterback rooms in the NFL, and I thought they'd have the Texans like 30th or something, like everybody has them having the second-worst record in the league this season to Arizona, and they had the Texans with the 22nd best, which is better than I thought it would be, uh, with Stroud and Mills and Keenum. I thought that both – I think that bodes very well from at least that one guy's –
0: recognition of what they have well I think uh, the I actually kind of agree with that if we're rating the all three guys as if they're equal somehow like you're let's pretend for a second that either one Case Keenum or Davis Mills they're very different quarterbacks obviously in terms of their experience and their style of play but they both started a bunch of games in the NFL. Yeah, there's I I would be willing to submit. Let's pretend that Davis Mills is the third string quarterback right now. Johnson's case has started multiple seasons for multiple teams and had success in the league. So Davis, based on his body of work is the third string quarterback. You're having a hard time finding third string quarterbacks in the NFL. I'm not saying that that Davis Mills has accomplished a ton. Like they haven't won a bunch of games. But he's got a ton of very practical experience. Hell, he was a cap. You're going to find very few third-string quarterbacks that were the captain of their team, John. Uh, that's you know what I'm saying. Like that's that's. So I I actually buy that. The problem with that rationale is that the rating of 22nd is with the hope that two thirds of that never sees the field. You know, and so I think. I think where that comes in, it would be more important if the Texans were thought to be a contending team this year because you could be like, all right, well, if they lose C.J. Stroud, then the drop-off to Case Keenum or Davis and Case give you a chance to still keep winning football games. In a perfect season, C.J. Stroud plays 17 games, and I'm not really worried about what the record is necessarily. You know, they're not supposed to be a playoff team. Now, I don't want it to be 2-15, and 15, obviously, But if C.J. Stroud starts 17 games and they go 6-11 or 7-10, that's probably a successful season for the Texans, right? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So things the Texans need to accomplish, there's 10 of them. John has them up on sportsradio610.com. Let's do a couple more. The one that you have that intrigues me here is figuring out the workload at running back and specifically what is Devin Singletary's role in an offense that was Damian Pierce heavy in 2022?
3: I wrote, Sean, that the signing of Singletary could turn out to be the best free agent signing Nick Casario had because he started for the Bills for three and a half years. He's a good receiver. There's no reason for Damian Pierce to be in on obvious passing downs. He needs to be on the sideline resting because of the way he plays, a physical style in which he looks for contact, and he's not going to change that. Although on the sideline they may tell him, run out of bounds instead of trying to hit somebody because you're going to be out anyway, that Singletary could be 65-35, could be 70-30, but it's going to be so much better than it was last year. And I think we would be uh, ignorant to think with a 17-game schedule that a running back is going to go the distance. And then they got to develop a third guy because if Pierce, who missed almost five full games last year, is out with an injury and Singletary's is the starter, Who's going to be number three? That's another thing they have to determine in training camp.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I like the Singletary signing, too. It's just (laughs) – He was he was a good back for Buffalo. I to me, like I'm more all the people getting worked up about running back salaries for whatever reason. It feels like this year more than any other year recently. Everybody's worked up about the pay scale for running backs in the NFL, probably because of Saquon and Josh Jacobs. Like we've got two really like good top five running backs that just can't sniff a long term deal that they feel is fair. And so it's become a, a very front burner topic. Um, to me, it's the guys like like Saquon Barkley is gonna somehow wind up making twenty or thirty million the next couple of years, you know, one way or another. Like to me, like Devin Singletary it's a good NFL running back. He's a starting NFL running back for a playoff team, a good playoff team. The last couple of years, he gets one year three and a half million. Like that's and again, I'm not crying for someone who makes three million dollars for a year of playing a kid's game, but that's that's the level of running back to me. It's like the actor strike, John. You know this because you're an actor. You know, it's like it's. Uh, I'm not crying the blues for the Harrison Fords of the world, you know, or the or the 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 Charlie Sheens or the you know the Brad Pitts of the world. I'm not uh, crying the blues for them. It's the you know it it's the judges in Spring Breakers, John. That the, the strike is for Devin Singletary is basically you in Spring Breakers, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you.
3: I've been on strike since 2008.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. All right. So that's we got two offensive. Let's get a defensive one, in, John, of the things, and it's a really good article. Ten things um, that the Texans need to accomplish, uh, in training camp on the defensive side of things. Look, Will Anderson, who knows John, Will Anderson might end up being the Texans best defensive player as a rookie this year. I think it's a very real possibility. Number three overall pick, um, Will Anderson, but what happens opposite of him, that opposite defensive end where Jerry Hughes was really good last year for most of the year kind of tailed off, Jonathan Grenard has been a disappointment mostly because of injuries over the last year or so after a, a decent season in 2021. Um, how do you think and how important is it that they get that position hashed out during training camp? It is
3: amazing how many players they have competing for positions in the in the defensive line. They've got so many bodies. you got two draft choices in the first and fourth rounds. You know they're both going to make the team. Hughes will be 35. Grenard's in the last year of his contract, and you know how guys have a habit of staying healthy in the last year of their contracts. John led them in sacks two years ago with eight, and I think he missed five games. Jerry Hughes had nine last year. couple he came so close to getting. Could have been in double figures. So they need those guys to play Grenard like he did, in 2021. He is like he did in 2022. And there will be some kind of rotation. But Will Anderson has a chance to be their first double digit sack guy since 2018 when JJ Whitehead 16. And he is the favorite to be voted NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year, like Bijan Robinson is favorite to be Offensive Rookie of the Year. And I think that uh, Matt Burke, the new defensive coordinator, and D'Amico Ryan's will move Anderson around. I would not put him inside very much because he's going to get beat up by guys a whole lot bigger than him. Let him rush off the edge. He's quick. He's fast. He's got great closing bursts. Got good moves with his hands. And so I think he's going to be spectacular. They Are you com- too? Because they wouldn't have traded so much yeah. to move up to get him if they didn't think he was going to be great.
0: Yeah, and I think he's a, you know, personality wise, he feels like a culture fit and a culture changer in some ways, I think, for this team and that defense that he could be, you know, that he could be to this defense. This is high praise because he's the greatest player in the history of the franchise. I think their hope, John, I think what they traded for him, the message that I get with what they traded for him is they feel like he could be to this defense in the 2020s what J.J. Watt was to this defense in the 20, you know, the 2010s, we'll call it here. I'm not saying he's going to be a three-time Defensive Player of the Year and a Hall of Famer. I'm saying his role in that defense and the level that they need him to play to or aspire to, and play at really is is what like? Am I am I out of bounds on that?
3: No, I don't think so. And he's used to a lot of attention. He started getting it as a freshman at Alabama. He uh, used to getting double teamed. He's used to getting cheap shotted. He's played in front of humongous crowds. He understands pressure. People had been talking since his freshman year about him being a number one pick. And he not only was the best defensive prospect in the draft, some people had him rated as the highest prospect over Bryce Young and other players. And so there's high expectations, and he seems like he's equipped mentally and physically to handle those kind of
0: lofty expectations. All right, so um, you can get the, the whole article, 10 Things That the Texans Are Looking to uh, Accomplish at, uh, at Training Camp. John McClain's got that up, sportsradio610.com. John, before we get out, let's uh, touch on some Astros because we're, we're going to start to get pretty football-heavy here as Training Camp gets started next week. But this is a, this is a pretty crucial week for, um, for the Astros. Coming off of a split against Colorado – Um, and they find themselves as you and I are recording this on a Thursday, they find themselves four and a half games back of the Rangers. Um, the good news is Jordan Alvarez is swinging a bat again. The good news is Jose or is throwing a baseball again. Hopefully Jose Altuve. And in other words, they're, they're hopefully getting healthier here. And they've got a soft chunk of schedule, like right here over the weekend, they've got these four games against Oakland while the Rangers are facing off against the Dodgers um, it's really like the rest of this week and then through next week because they get three games with the Rangers at home and then they've got Tampa Bay at home who up until a couple days ago, they were the best team in the American League. They're kind of faltering now. Um, but how crucial how crucial is this week coming up, this next seven to 10 days for the Astros and their chances of winning the division?
3: Rangers are playing great coming out of the All-Star break. They embarrassed the Rays. Uh, it's funny Tampa is on pace for the second worst July in its franchise history. They've just been awful in July. So the Rangers beat them up. So maybe the Astros beat them up. What the Astros got to hope is the Rangers don't come to Minute Maid Park and do to the Astros, what the Astros did to them in Arlington, which is them. And that's a possibility. Thank goodness for Brandon Belak gave up one run and they salvaged that split with uh, the Rockies. Now they've got to win three out of four, at least, against the A's because the Rangers have a farm system that's well-stocked, and Rollers Chapman has been fantastic. And they may, they're going to make moves to deadline to further bull, bolster their bullpen and maybe another starter. And, of course, we don't know what Dana Brown is going to do. He says he's going to do something. But the Astros have been so inconsistent. And, yeah, Alvarez is swinging a bat. Altuve is hitting off a tee. Rikidi is throwing. But when are those guys going to be back exactly? Yeah. Is it going to be a week? Is it going to be another month? Who else is going to get hurt? If it wasn't for Chaz McCormick and Jolks and guys like France and Belak pitching better than anybody ever thought they could, yeah. And, you know, a guy like Jeremy Pena is hitting in the 230s. Huge disappointment. Yeah. And these other guys are kind of taking up the slack. And you'd like for the guys who are their best players who are healthy to start hitting and pitching better.
0: Yeah, it's it's crazy to think, John. Like, if we're just using the the last month or so, like you trust Brandon Belak and JP France more than you trust Christian Javier and Hunter Brown right now. (laughs) That's the truth. I mean, that's not even. I'm I'm not even being being funny or snarky or anything like that. They empirically, those two have been much better. Not just better. Not just on the level of Javier and Hunter Brown. Thank God they haven't been on the level of Javier and Hunter Brown these last four or five starts. John, I put up a poll on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it. I did. I I voted. You You voted? Okay. So I'm curious. um, Then let's reveal your vote here. I know people don't like to talk about who they vote for in elections, John. It's a personal thing, but I think you'll be okay discussing this one on here. Um, The poll that I put up was uh, if the Astros – the season ended today, they'd be in a wild card round. So they'd be the sixth seed. They'd be playing probably the Minnesota Twins in a playoff series in a two out of three. Fromber obviously is your unquestioned game one starter. Of the guys right now, let's pretend game two is tonight. Uh, who do you start? And the four choices obviously the other four starters right now Javier, Hunter Brown, JP France, and Brandon Bielak. Um, Who did you vote for, John?
3: I voted for Javier because I can't imagine he's going to be so, so inconsistent to terrible. The rest of the season, he's pitched in the playoffs. He's pitched well. He has experience. I think that's one thing a lot of Astro fans are thinking. Well, if they can just get in the playoffs. Well, to get in the playoffs, you need three good pitchers right now. They have one, Fromber Valdez. And even though Fromber has had a couple of games that were not up to his speed in the last two weeks, but he's, he is the ace. But after that, what are you going to do? Go with France and Bielak? Ronel Blanco, or Jose, or Key. Those two guys have to come through, and if they don't,
0: they may not even make the playoffs. The question is, John, though, if you had to, st- if the game was tonight, like if the game was tonight, would you still start Javier over JP? I France? would.
3: I would just because he has experience in playoff games, and maybe that would mean something to him. Yeah. Where all of a sudden he could look up to heaven, and then uh, he'd be like Roy Hobbs. He'd be <laughs> supernatural and be the Christian Javier. We saw last year.
0: Yeah, that um, and for what it's worth, I'm looking at the poll right now. If you can go to my Twitter at Sean T. Pendergast, there's still still got 18 minutes or 18 hours and 31 minutes to vote in it. It's already up uh, around 12 or 1300 votes, uh, which is that's that's usually the amount that I get with my following. I've I've got about forty four thousand followers. That's about the amount I get on a poll that stays up there. Twenty four hours. Astro fans are pretty passionate about stuff like this. So they're getting in there and voting. The current results are. Christian Javier, 43%. Uh, JP France, 35%. Wow. Hunter Brown, 13%. And and Brandon Belak, 9%. John, is it more noteworthy that JP France... And by the way, when I put this up this morning, I had it open on my computer during during Payne and Pendergast. There was a point, several hundred votes in, where JP France actually took the lead on Javier in this thing. Since then, Javier... His family must have jumped on Twitter and started uh, stuffing the ballot box for him here. But he's 43-30. and 30. Is it more noteworthy to you, John, that J.P. France is within 8% of Christian Javier, or that J.P. France is nearly tripling the support that Hunter Brown is getting right now?
3: I think Hunter Brown's a bigger story because there were such high hopes for him after last season. And he had some great starts this year, but now he hadn't been worth a the, worth the darn. Going back to five or six starts, and they're talking about, oh, he's overworked. They always talk about these guys being overworked. Uh, and Nolan Ryan, I mean, I think Nolan Ryan would laugh about that, based on how much they used to pitch. And if he's overworked at this point this season, basically he was. They started saying that at the midway point, then
0: something's wrong. Yeah, I, I John, I, yeah, not to sound like. Uh you know not to sound like the average age of the two hosts doing this podcast right now but i'm with you like i i think about that a lot i'm like man the t- like we didn't t- ever talk about like workload or the number of innings and all these guys and and, and there were guys and they, guys to pitch consistently year in and year out like they, there were extreme example like billy martin in the early 80s took an oakland A staff that was really really good and pitched them into the ground cuz they pitched complete games every time out you know steve mccaddy and mike norris and and uh and Matt Keough and who were like some of those guys are 20 game winners and they're out of baseball in two years. Cause Billy Martin pitched them into the ground. I just don't remember like, God, do we ever have concern about a reliever having to pitch two days in a row an inning, like throwing 12 pitches each day, two Never. days in a row. It's crazy. Yes. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, uh it's wild to me. And oh my God. If a guy has to pitch three days in a row. Yeah. Oh. Man. Oh, I know they were ready to give Philip Maiton the Purple Heart last week in the Angels series. He had to pitch all three games. <laughs> Look at the courageousness of Philip Maton coming in for an inning in three straight Major League Baseball games, and then going back to his five-star hotel room and eating uh, wagyu beef on room service, like you know. So, yeah, that's wild to me. All right, John. Before we get out of here, um, trade deadline is coming up. Uh, August the 1st. So we're, you know, about 10 10 ish days away from the trade deadline. Um, As far as like magnitude of trade, I've heard that Dana Brown is taking big swings here with a lot of the talks. I think some of that is symptomatic of the rumors that we've been hearing, how true they are or not, or how how real they are. I think they're true rumors. I think the Astros are kicking tires on everything because that's what you should do if you're a GM. How realistic it is that some of those things come to fruition. You know, the bigger the name, the less a chance just because the Astros, in terms of the currency that you need to compete in this market, the prospect currency they don't have what the Rays and the Orioles and some of these other teams have to to go shopping for what you need at the deadline um, and getting some of the names we're talking about you'd have to disrupt your actual major league roster which I'm not against doing for certain guys if you had to like sort of categorize here like the magnitude of trade that you expect the Astros to make, and they may make they may multiple trades I get that I'll just say the magnitude of the deadline, the Astro, like the, the cumulative magnitude of the deals that they make with Verlander being like a five on a scale of one to five back in 2017. Granky's a five, right? Future Hall of Famer. Like last year, they trade for Mancini and Vasquez. That's like a two or a three, right? Two pieces that are just the depth pieces and things like that. What do you expect in terms of magnitude one to five for the Astros cumulative moves that get made at the deadline here?
3: When they got Vasquez, he was batting cleanup for the Red Sox. And I thought he would be a lot better here. Problem is, he's rotated with Maldonado. Yeah. And right now, uh, there was a thing I tweeted this week a deep dive into the Astros catching by the guy that goes by climbing Towels Hill mm-hmm. that was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. The thing about Maldi being better with the pitchers, it had every stat laid out about how Diaz has been better. And so uh, Vasquez was not brought in to be the catcher. He's brought in to be the backup. And then Mancini, he didn't hit as well with the Astros that he had with the Orioles or that he is this year. He's nothing special. I don't even remember what team he's with, but I look at it. Cubs. At the box scores. Cubs. And so I think – that Dana Brown's gonna that he's gonna acquire at least two relief pitchers, and one starter, and I don't think that starter is gonna be second or third. I think it'll be a guy who'll be fourth or fifth. Yeah. And uh, so that's not gonna, going to get it create a huge buzz. Talk this talk about Dylan Cease. If they were gonna trade Cease, so many teams could give so much better, so many better prospects. In the minor leagues, pitching and hitting that the Astros just don't have.
0: Yeah, so it sounds to me, John, your 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 one through five rating here sounds to me like like a two on a scale. Two of or three. Of yeah, two like a three. just kind of a middling trade deadline. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it's a big it's a big, uh, it's a big ten days for Dana Brown. Um, so we'll he, all eyes are on him right now, John. What do you got going on on Sports Radio 610.com I also
3: have an Astros column there. My next one that I do for the.
0: Website will be about
3: the uh, Texans starting camp next week, and then I'll hit the Texans. I'll usually write for a week uh, when the Texans crank it up. Also, we got to remind people August 24th.
0: Oh, yeah. The
3: Football Podcast goes on the road to the Houstonian. You can go on their website, Houstonian.com, go down to events, click on it, and you'll find uh, an event where Sean and I are going to do everything we do on this podcast we're gonna do it for fans at Houstonian on August 24th so we hope people will sign up.
0: Houstonian I just saw and, and I bookmarked this so I could send a congratulatory text to our friend Steve Runnerhouse, the general manager. They just got named like the nicest resort spa style hotel. I think in Texas maybe I don't know. I should be careful probably about the magnitude that the poll was. It, it was significant. Like it was they were they were the best. And I say all that to say that a big reason why they're so good is because of the food, and that our evening that night, the podcast going on the road is going to include an incredible uh, four course meal that
3: uh, and blue boo- and wine,
0: yeah, and
3: you know it's it's a they go all aloe there's Steve farmhouse does, and there's a reason they're one of the best in the country, and so yep. we hope people will sign up and come join us.
0: It's gonna be a fun night to talk football, training camp, all the preseason will be in the books. No. The two of the three games will be in the books. Hopefully C.J. Stroud. There we go, John. Will C.J. Stroud be named the starting quarterback by the time you and I are eating Ooh. delicious steak at the Houstonian on the 24th of August?
3: I'm going to ask D'Amico to hold up that announcement to right before we do the event. Then we can talk about
0: it. Then we, he should and give it to you or me and we can break the news from <laughs> the podcast. That would be great. Um, John, good stuff as always, and I uh, look forward to uh, talking next week and obviously seeing you out at training camp next week as well. Can't wait. Yep, should be fun. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Again, uh, administratively here, mailbag at gmail.com. Send in your questions. We will do a mailbag next week. Uh, either the first or second episode will include your questions. That is a promise because we haven't done one in a while. Um, so that is, uh, that's the mailbag, H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. Uh, be sure to, if you haven't already, click the subscribe button, wherever it is you get your podcasts and you'll get this podcast sent to you automatically. We're here. Training camp is here. It's next week. This is when you want to be on board getting this podcast served up to you. Big thanks to Ross Tucker for joining us and joining us on this podcast as well. Big thanks to James Jackson, our producer, who does a great job getting this baby lined up and out to you uh, in all the different chunks that he sends it out in both video and audio. You get can- podcast on youtube as well um so for james big thanks for john mcclain the hall of famer i'm sean pendergast we are out of time we will see all of you next week uh for the utopia football podcast training camp almost here have a great weekend everybody